Welcome to Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. This is an education-based show focusing on tech careers and how to incorporate the important aspects of technology in your current work. Each show brings you closer to tech success. Now, here's your host, Dr. Sharon Jones. Dr. Sharon Jones, and I'm honored that you have joined us for another hour of chatting and talking about how do we code our future, how do we understand this giant world of tech, find our own space, and remember that we have our own tech genius within each of us. We just have to discover what is the best fit. And today, I am so excited and honored to have a returning guest because we had such a glorious time chatting before in a combo episode we did a couple of um, weeks ago, and I had such great response from the audience in in response to Anka that I wanted to bring her back because, first of all, the two of us totally nerded out on our love of tech (laughs) and how we can intermingle these two things based on our history and our background and our career trajectories on how we have really found our niche in the tech world, but using our passions and our talents to find that. So I want to welcome back Anka Herman, and I am so excited you're here. And we're going to have a full episode today of just totally nerding out on all things tech and all the things we love. So welcome. Well, thanks so much for having me back. It was so much fun last time, and I'm really excited to be back. So tell us, tell our listeners, where are you right now? I'm in the province of Cadiz in the very south, south, south of Spain. Wow. Yep. What time is it there right now? It's 15, it's 20 past three in the afternoon. Oh my goodness. Okay. And it's 10.22 or 10.20 for me on the East Coast right now. I say that because I always am, I have the privilege of being able to interview several amazing individuals that are international guests. And I know that that would not have been possible had we not had this great opportunity of technical innovation on things like Zoom and Skype and Google Meet. And I mention it a lot because I think sometimes we take it for granted that you and I get to see each other face-to-face. We're currently recording on Zoom and we get to have a really awesome conversation and be in two different areas of the world. That's so true. And I think it is true that it's easy to take for granted, but I don't know. I haven't, I personally haven't fallen into that trap. Like I've been grateful for the technology available. Like I did all my coach training online, you know, virtually yeah. everything, the whole thing. Right. So there's, there's, um, I don't, I can't even remember the last time I learned something new that I didn't learn online. So yeah, I mean, definitely, Ooh, definitely. That's a good point. That's a good point to point. I mean, I will, you know, I I have definitely had a lot of in-person training, but I will find that if I need something just in time, I Mm -hmm. certainly turn to the computer, Google or whatnot to look for that information. Absolutely. Yeah. So remind our listeners a little bit about your journey and about your background and your career because it is super awesome and um yeah just remind them a little bit about who you are and then we'll we'll dive into all the the cool things about your book about taming the tech monster and and those kinds of things but give us a little background again yeah um well i i grew up in east germany and i always mention that because i think it has shaped 
the way I see the world. I mean, obviously differently from other people who grew up there, but for me, there was always that sense that, you know, this tiny little wee country felt like, you know, I was shoved in a, you know, like a bird that's shoved into a cage that's too small, right? And so mm-hmm. it all, I always had that sensation that I wanted to kind of spread my wings and do stuff and felt I couldn't. So the I found a way to get out <laughs> before the wall came down. And after that, it was literally like everything felt like there's nothing at stake. So moving to a different country really wasn't a big deal for me because I thought, well, okay, you know, if that doesn't mm-hmm. work out, I can always go back. So the first place it, um, you know, life took me was Australia. And um, so there I was in Australia with my freshly graduate, sort of almost freshly graduate freshly graduated as a translator, you know, and I've been told, well, that's no problem. Sydney is super multicultural. You're going to find work like that, right? Boy, was that wrong because it was really difficult to find a job as a translator. And when I found it, it was still looking back all these years later, I still say that was the worst paid and most stressful job I've ever had. (laughs) Wow. So, So basically a few months into that, I knew that I was not going to stay in translation and so I sent out my resume to anybody who'd have it. And with growing frustration, because you could literally see like anybody would earn more money than me, but like my resume was still like really empty just a couple of years out of uni. And then anything I had done, that was overseas. So that doesn't count over here. So I literally spread out what felt like an empty resume. And after quite some time, I ended up in a software company, Right. And uh, so that's how I even, um, you know, it wasn't choice. It was just like there was a job. There was somebody who'd have me. Right. Right. And I ended up being hired as the executive assistant to the managing director. Hmm. Right. Because the guy from the recruitment agency knew the guy. And he says, oh, I know this guy. And you two are going to get on like a house on fire. And we did. So the good thing for me was that that boss, who I'm still in touch with, literally had no work for me. He was in the process of selling the company. So he was out on the golf course and I had all day, every day for me to do whatever I wanted in a software company. (laughs) And there I was, you know, yeah, I know. Like I, all of a sudden there was all the tools. I was in the mid nineties, right? So there were the tools, it was internet, there was programmers around everywhere, you Mm -hmm. know, and I was totally fascinated by that idea that you could just type something into the computer and that thing do something. You know, I was, I, know, I found I'm it like fascinating. It's so fascinating. <laughs> and, and so I was really curious. And thanks to the boss who didn't really have much for me to do. And he was super encouraging. He says, oh, do you want to learn about marketing? Here, I send you about on, on some postgraduate course. Oh, you want to learn about programming? Here, I'm going to send you on that conference. So he actively encouraged me. And I asked him later, like, why did you do that? You know, and he goes, well, you would, have, you would have lasted a month without that, right? So it didn't take long. Just a few months later, I was kind of, he sold the company and I ended up in the research and development department. So now I got all day to play, right? All the new mm-hmm. stuff and how would that fit? And, and I really enjoyed the learning and I was fascinated. There was a sense of, 
oh, programming language. How cool is that? It's just like a real language, but without the exceptions. So it kind of almost felt, well, finally a language that actually makes sense. Oh my gosh. So, so that was me, the linguist, kind of coming along there. But then people would come and say, like colleagues would say, hey, you know, you could, you, do you know that you could actually get a job in this? And I'm like, nah, nah. And I literally, I didn't, I wasn't keen at all because I thought, well, there were two things that were holding me back from actually even looking at software development as a career. One was I felt I had way too much to catch up on because, you know, I hadn't been like a tomboy or like I'd never been geeky growing up. I was a dolls girl. I was a linguist, right? So I never really, I was good at maths, you know, so it mm -hmm. wasn't that I didn't have that and and I like technology and stuff like sort of engineering it was kind of interesting but but it wasn't where my passion was so right. I didn't really think I thought the the guys who are in that industry they'd been programming games and, and hacking around since they were 14 and I thought well I'm almost 30 you know way too old you know I've got so much to catch up on there's no way in the world that I can ever get to a level that I could someone would hire me for this that was number one. Number two was, do I really want to work with an office full of guys? You know, mm -hmm. I really, I really didn't think I, I thought, well, Oh God, then I have to be twice as good at everybody else to be half as accepted. Do I really want to do that to myself? But kind of, you know, the encouraging nudges kept coming and then I thought, Oh, well, you know what? I'll just take the industry exam, whatever thing was, you know? And then I kind of, well, then if I don't pass that, then the question is solved. But then I pass the exam, you know, pass the other exam, whatever. Next thing I know, I had an offer for a job. And I thought, well, you know what? And that, you know, when he was, that's what that was in the mid 90s. Like there were loads of jobs. The whole IT bubble was just starting out, you know, like mm -hmm. you literally didn't need a lot of experience because nobody had it, you know. So right. it was, there was the first job offer. And I thought, well, let's just see what happens. Like if I don't like it, I can just kind of go back to translating and I never look back. It turns out that none of my, none of my worries had any roots really, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was like, well, actually this coming in there from a linguistics background actually had more advantages than it had disadvantages because I could yes. talk to clients, <laughs> yeah. you know? And there was also, the, it, it was just a time when object oriented programming started mm. out and yeah. a lot of programmers who came from that procedural background had real trouble getting their head around that. And yeah. I walked in and I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense, right? So I didn't have the baggage of knowledge in that sense. And there was also the mail office. Yeah, that happened. But I must say, in all the years I worked in software, I've never had any interview, any project, any company where I had the sense that, I had to deliver more to be accepted or anything. I, I just literally didn't have that experience in any of them. So it was literally, well, you know, assumptions is the mother of all, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so there you go. So, and that's how I ended up in that industry. And it was really, you know, fantastic. Well, well, amazing. Yes. You know, I know. And I love that you used your background as a linguist because I often say this and I've, heard, I've said it on, I said on the show many times as well, but if you can write a, a good sentence in whatever language is your native language, then you can write a line of code because mm -hmm. it's exactly what you just said when you said this was a language you could understand, right? 
When you figure out the programming language that works for you, that clicks in your brain, for you it was object-oriented. And when we say object-oriented, what we mean is objects are the core part of how you're programming and certain objects are going to be what is going to drive the the actual program. So in procedural, you, you're going to do line by line by line, whereas in an object-oriented, it's a little bit more of a grouping type of concept to, to put it on sort of a high level. Yeah. And the um, and I'll be quite frank with you, I actually started an object-oriented myself, ended up finding that I did better in procedural langu- languages than I did an object-oriented. But what I like about, I, I want to drive this this concept again home in the fact that learning a programming language is like learning a spoken language. You've got to learn a little bit of the nuances and the syntax, but once you get over the hump of understanding, just like in a spoken language, you've got a verb, you've got a subject, you've got an adverb, you've got a prop, uh, um, preposition. The same thing happens in a programming language. You've got a variable. You've got a conditional statement. You've got so a often compared that. Yeah, it's like you've got your vocabulary and you've got your grammar, you know. So, and, and that's exactly that. I mean, it's just, it, you know, you've got to learn the nuances of the two. You know, for me, I have found myself that I don't drive as much or, or learn as much in object-oriented. I've turned more into, I do a lot of programming around data analytics, which is really mm-hmm. where I found my passion. And, and it took me a little while to get there. I had to go through a couple of different things to figure that out. It's even like you saying German is your native language, but you have found yourself finding your niche not necessarily in German or in Germany. Not at all. Yeah, no, I, I don't work in German at all. It's all in English. Yeah, definitely. definitely. When, you, when you first started translating, were you translating German to English or were you doing something else? Yeah, it was German. Um, <laughs> this is quite funny because I, um, well, when you study translation, there's always two languages and mine was English and Russian. And Russian is really quite a funny one because don't ask me anything in Russian. Literally, when I started learning Spanish, in my brain, like two cables kind of went crosswise. And any time I want to say something in Russian comes out in Spanish. So, you know, and I kind of, <laughs> and the first few years, I mean, I kind of stopped paying any attention to Russian when I started to learn about software development and programming and all of that, mm-hmm. because I thought, well, you know, I'm not going to work in, in Australia. They wouldn't let me work with, with Russian because they would only ever let you work into like from your native and into your native language. Mm-hmm. Right. So nobody in Australia needs Russian German translation. So, you know, and they wouldn't let me translate Russian and English. Right. So, and I thought, well, I couldn't get any work there. And, um, and then I changed, I knew I was going to change direction and I wasn't like, okay, yeah, leave that. I won't pay any more attention to that. And just, and it was sort of sitting there sort of in this passive way for, for many, many years. It was like, oh, can't remember whatever, a few vodkas and it'll come out. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so it was like that for many years until, until I started to, to learn Spanish and then something crossed. <laughs> So don't uh, don't challenge me on the Russian. So, <laughs> no, but I but again, I love you saying this that you know you have learned you've learned German, you've learned Russian, you have learned Spanish, 
And I, it just equates so much to me because I actually don't have a good solid foundation in multiple spoken languages. My, mm. my children are learning Spanish now as, as a child because I think that's so important and they're, they're young and their brains are malleable and they can learn all these pieces. But to me, it's like I, I did the same journey in terms of I started with Visual Basic and then I went to HTML, which is um, the, the language of the web. And then I ended up going into something called SAS programming, which was about analytics and then into SQL. And then I went to Python and I've done a little bit in C Sharp, you know, finding my rhythm. But I love you saying that. Mm. And that even helped you in terms of the software piece. So, so tell me that the job that you, so after you did your industry certification, and you took the job in this in the company, software company. How long were you there? And then did that lead to another position in software? Or was oh yeah, in, okay. I was I would yeah absolutely. I mean that first um, the first job where I wasn't hired as anything else was literally it came out of that very first software company. It was a consultant who worked there and we'd done some stuff together and I'd helped her with a bit of stuff. And she goes, oh, you know what? This mate of mine has just started a new company, software company, and, and you'd love him. And so she introduced me and that was the first job for software where I was hired as a software developer. And it just went on like that. Like, okay, next opportunity came up. There was one bank that I wanted to work for and I got that job because I just called. I just literally, oh my picked, up the, I just literally picked up the yellow And someone answered? Shocking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was a big bank. <laughs> yeah. Big bank. So I just called reception and I said, hey, you know, I want to speak to somebody in IT. You know, somebody mm -hmm. who deals with whatever thing was, you know. And she goes, oh, okay. Oh, you mean John? Oh, okay. I'll put you through. Right? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> And there was John or whoever, I can't even remember his name now. But um, so anyway, I get to speak to this guy and, and, and I said, well, look, you know, I've heard great things about your bank. I would love, love, love to work for you guys, you know. And he goes, well, we don't really have a project, but do you have time for coffee? I'm like, yeah. Like literally 20 minutes later, I was sitting in, in, in Sydney, somewhere in the city, and we're having the coffee. And I had my <laughs> I had my resume on one of the little CD things, like oh the yeah, floppy disk. Oh, floppy disk, right? The little CDs. one. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ones, yes, totally remember ones. that. Uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> so and I went there, I had that in my bag, and we had a coffee, and he was sharing a little bit, like what kind of projects they're doing, and I'm like, ooh, this piece will right up my alley. And so at the end of that coffee, he goes, well, you know, obviously. You know, I'm not, I mean, I haven't got anything right now, you know, but he says, well, if I, if something comes up, I'll let you know, you know, and so I gave him my little floppy disk thingy and, oh and off we went. And literally like six weeks later, he called me because I've got the project for you. Wow. And that's how I got to work at that bank. <laughs> so that was that. And then, um, and then the next step was, oh, let's just move to the UK. London was the thing. Like it was sort of in Sydney. It was a bit like, you know, your resume, you, you kind of had it made if you had some UK experience on your resume. Mm -hmm. And I went to the UK just for that, really. It was like, okay, you know, let's work in the big 
industry kind of thing. And so it was literally, at first it was a bit of a challenge. Let's see whether I could pick up a contract and then let's see whether I could keep it. <laughs> and so the plan was like six months to a year and that turned into five years too. So, oops. And um, yeah, it was just like one after the other. And then you, you know, and then I'd worked in a bank. So the next bank would hire you. And so yeah. it was just literally one, one project after, after the other. So it was really, you know, it was great. And, and I think it all went until there was a sense that most of the big, like the banks would come, had come to that conclusion that, oh, we want to focus on our core business. Let's just outsource all these peripheral kind of thingies, mm -hmm. right? So, and then it was literally any opportunity was always in the realm of project management, which basically meant you sit in meetings dealing with Indian outsourcing companies all day. And I'm like, right. it's yeah. just so not my thing, right? I love working with clients. I love working and finding out about how they do things and then come up with more efficient, more streamlined ways of achieving a goal or, or, or doing a task and then create the software to facilitate that process. That's what I love doing, you know, mm -hmm. not, not chasing milestones basically. So. Well, I mean, yeah, because you're, you're a creator and you, mm. you found your rhythm and being able to create with the code, being able to solve the problem and yep. come up with a solution. And I think sitting in mo meetings, well, it would not be my cup of tea either. I would mm. not enjoy that. Not even a little. So, as you transitioned out of being in, so you were in UK for five years, at, what made you, did you leave? Did you, how, how, what was that transition like? Well, that was pretty abrupt because I came, I went, I went to Spain on a holiday mm -hmm. right? and I'm there in flamenco country, walking through the historic part of town of Granada. I think, oh boy, I don't know. I've got this really weird sense. I'd love to live here. And uh, so long story short, I actually quit my job. I'm going. And then I thought, well, what would I do for a living if I really was to move to Spain? And so I thought, you know what? Why not take a step back and really change tack and do something like totally different? <laughs> so I started a sewing business and I made flamenco dance costumes for 15 years. So, you know, like I really took a radical <laughs> And and literally left corporate, you know, moved to Spain and start set up a little sewing studio. And really, like what I did, still obviously, I did my own websites. I ended up um, building my own app to my, to run my, to manage my own business. You know, just like all the orders and keep track of all of that. There was nothing I could find that do remotely what I needed, so I would bloody write it right. So I did that. But um, yeah, really sort of parked it for quite a while until I sort of shifted towards supporting other people to, who want to start their own business, right? Mm -hmm. And so because that was really sort of, I kind of jumped in there like, oh, how hard can it be, right? You know, and if I don't know, I'll just figure it out. So, you know, there was a lot of challenges that I got a clue about that didn't even, I didn't even see coming. And most of it were more on that personal growth area. You know, so it wasn't practical stuff. And so that's really where I look towards first when I set out to help people build their business. And all the while, they'd go like, 
oh, you know, but I want to do an online course, what platform, and I don't know the tech stuff. And I'd always go like, yeah, but that's easy. That's not your problem. Go away. You know, and oh, I've got this website and I don't know how to access it. Can you help with that? I'm like, yeah, yeah, but that's easy. Go away. That's not your problem. <laughs> and I literally, I, I took a while until I realized, well, actually, you know, this is something where I can help people and, and really help them take a hurdle that is actually quite steep for a lot of people and make sure they don't stumble over that on the way to, you know, building their own business. Well, and you've taken your experience and then, mm-hmm. I mean, I know you sort of grazed over this cause I'm, I'm listening to the whole thing again, because I know you've told me this before, but taking that jump from going from the UK to Spain, setting up a business, you took a sewing class to learn how to, to sew and, and, and put these flamingo dresses together. But, you know, so much of that goes back again to the roots of you learning multiple languages, of you learning the programming. It's still the structure. It's still the algorithm of figuring out from point A to point B. Absolutely. But what's so great is that even from your experience of working in the software company to the banks, to making that move from Sydney to the UK and transitioning and figuring out how to solve the problem is very valuable to those that are beginning to start their own business. There's something you've said a couple of times that's really, really important that I don't know that all of us have, me included, is that you said when you left Germany, you thought, well, I'm going to go try this. And if it doesn't work out, I'll just go back. Mm. Well, you know, I have often struggled with that, like, you know, putting that mindset, like, you know, coming out of the safety zone of just, you know, being, knowing, knowing the known. And my mom has always given me that advice, like, um, you know, your mind has to have a way out. So I, I feel like for you, your way out was like, oh gosh, if this doesn't work, I'll just go back to Germany. Right. But why not give it a try? And that's amazing. Yeah, and I it's, and see that's why I always mention that I actually grew up in East Germany and got out before the war came down because that was a one way ticket, right? That ah. was like I had no idea, you know. When I tried to get out of East Germany, it was like, what do you want? Like this thing doesn't even exist, and you knew there was no way back. And once you are told that you're off, you go. It's your turn out. You knew you couldn't come back. Like anybody and anything you leave behind, you kind of leave knowing that you won't see them again, right? And I'm like, well, that was one-way ticket. Like anything after that, it's like, what's the big deal? You know, if I want to, if I have that sensation, I want to move to Spain because something pulls me here. There's something that, you know, I fear much more the, the regret of not having done something like that fear for me is much stronger than doing something and not and have it not work out, you know, because that oh. feels like, what's the big thing? What's the big deal? Like if it doesn't work out, so what, you know, but at least I know I've got it out of my system. I really like, I'm, I mean, I'm just processing what you just said, because I think that's really important to hear because I, it took me a long time to get to that point mm-hmm. for many, many years. I was often scared to really step outside my box because I thought, well, if it doesn't go, I'd have all the list of the things that could happen if it went wrong, you know, and then you mm-hmm. like scare yourself out of trying anything new. And I, I think this is why I'm so uh, um, attracted to, to talking to you and, and learning from you is because of you saying, you know, well, why not? What happens if it doesn't work? Next. 
So we're going to dive into that a little bit more because I want to talk a bit about um, that transition from the flamingo dresses and, and, and how you still keep that alive, you know, as part of your, your work now. I want to talk about your book, Taming the Tech Monster, because it's one of my favorite titles because it's often the way we feel that tech is this giant monster. So stay with us. We're going to be right back with Anka and she's got so much more to share. So we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. From face-to-face training to blended training techniques, the DOT Consulting delivers distinct advantage for organizations looking to grow. We help you invest in technology knowledge through training, experimental learning, and community connections. Employees create an overall collective sharpness, savviness, and greater productivity using technology as a tool, thus increasing the technological speed and quality of the expertise in your organization. The DOT Consulting, a new level of tech savvy, Visit the .consulting.co. The world needs more women with tech skills. At the Dottie Rose Foundation, we encourage, support, and educate girls who have an interest in technology and want to learn how it can be used to enhance their learning and future careers. Our camps demonstrate that most future career paths will benefit from developing a wide range of increasingly important technology and software skills. We accomplish this through mastering computational thinking, boosting self-confidence, and creating new possibilities for each girl. Visit DottieRoseFoundation.org. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. We invite you to connect with the show today by calling in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Sharon at the.consulting.co. Now, back to Coding the Future. Welcome back, everybody, to Coding the Future. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Jones, and we're back with the second segment of the amazing Anka Herman. And I am just, we have, literally, I was um, telling her on the, on, we took a little break. I said, oh my gosh, I looked at my time and thought, man, we've already talked for like half of the show. So we've got it. We got to take a quick break. So, but we're back and we have a whole nother segment here to talk more about her continued journey in this wonderful world of technology and a mixing of having her own business and software development. So Anka, tell us a little bit after you, you have your flamingo dress business in Spain, which you've created this, um, uh, as you said, a little bit of a deviation from software, but you know, it's just another use of your brain in a different way. Um, so tell us a little bit about that journey into what you're doing now. It's, I think it's one of those, I mean, I don't know if I've done anything. <laughs> it's always I could see. I changed tack early, right? And um, just like the way when, when I decided to leave London and the software world, it was, little, it, it was literally in a space to, well, you know, things are still good now, but I don't like the direction this is going. 
and I don't want to be 50 and send out pro, like resumes for programming jobs. You know, when the guy looking at it is 25 and thinks, what's this crazy grandma here doing here? So, you know, I thought, well, okay, it's a good time to change tack now. And the same happened again with the sewing business in a sense that, first of all, I had this, because I stumbled in there with this naivety of like, you know, how hard can it be? No idea. And that I really didn't see coming the challenge that, that I was up against. Like Mrs. Nice Girl, Mrs. Yes as the default answer was taken for a ride big time by what I felt were like demanding clients, right? And there was a lot of cultural challenges in there in a sense that if you are a people pleaser, basically, which I'd always been. My mum told me when I was 10, you know, you're too nice. Everybody takes advantage of you, right? So it wasn't anything new. It just had never been a problem. In, in, you always have a job description that protects you from, you know, people kind of taking advantage of you. Now, all of a sudden, there, I, was, I had my own business. And I, I understood that it was my job to make sure that my clients are happy, right? So I didn't even, it didn't even occur to me that I could say no to stuff. Right. So and it really and that combined with mostly Spanish clients who are very outspoken when it comes to what they want. Right. And they don't take no easily. So, you know, somebody who has real trouble saying no is in deep trouble in the sense that <laughs> you end up with a lot of work and you mm -hmm. end up being kind of I felt I was sort of torn and it was sort of never enough and the sense of pressure, like literally you know, that old story with the frog being slowly like that's what happened to me in the beginning. You don't notice it. And then slowly and all of a sudden I was mm -hmm. so stressed out, overworked, mm -hmm. burnt out. And there was mm -hmm. like a, you know, explosion moment kind of thing where I thought, you know what, if this is what this business thing is, live your dream, you can have it. <laughs> I don't mm -hmm. want anything anymore. And so I started to say no to stuff I didn't want any, I didn't want to do fully aware that, oh God, my business is going to be probably implode and they're going to all badmouth me and nobody's going to order. And next thing I know, I realized that I was wrong all along, you know, that it had never been my clients who caused me to feel stressed, that all the, the pressure came from me thinking that I couldn't say no, that that would mean that they won't order again. And I realized that I was wrong about that. And I'm like, oh boy, you know, like you feel kind of liberated and stupid at the same time. But it was this big turnaround in, the, in my experience of that whole business. And out of that, there was quickly that idea is like, oh God, I can't be the only one who's falling into a, an invisible trap. And want, I wanted to, and at the same time, there was again that moment where I thought, you know, like saying, sewing 50 dresses for a performance, you know, and it has to be ready that day. Like it's physically exhausting and mm -hmm. it's, it's tough work. And I actually thought, well, again, do I want to be 60 and doing that? You know, when you all of a sudden can't see anymore or your back hurts or, you know, do I really, really come to that right. age and still pumping out, you know, <laughs> you know, dresses at that speed? And I'm like, well, you know what? No. You know, so I'd rather shift again and move into something different and and really focus on supporting other people to build up their business, right? And then the tech stuff really was people asking me, 
you know, because I always had websites or stuff and, oh, I need an online course. I'll just do one, you know, so I want to create a right. video. I'll just do it. So right. people are like, how do you do this? How do you do that? So it was literally people pulling and people asking. And it took me a long time to really step into that, you know, to actually say, well, yeah, I've got something sort of some weird, unique combination of experience and skills that can be really, really helpful for people. And um, so the book was really an expression of that. And um, so, yeah, and the book's been really, well, it's like a little techie tech monster has taken on a life of its own. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to I talk a little bit more about that. But before we go there, there's something that I want to just reiterate that I was hearing because, again, I've been listening and taking in what you're saying. And two things that come to mind. The first is that one thing that I've noticed with your story is, I said this before, but you, you took the chance and you said to yourself, well, let's try this. And if it doesn't work, then, you know, I can fall back to, to X, Y, or Z. But the other thing that you said was that in each part of your journey, you almost knew with your gut that it was time to take a turn. And we talk sometimes about the seasons of our lives or as we grow and we change because we're always evolving, that you really listen to that inner piece of yourself that said, okay, it's time. Like, just like when you knew, when you went from Sydney to the UK and then you were in the UK and then you went to, to Spain and you listen to your inner self saying, I think this is a time for a change. So you moved, you did your work in the UK and you're like, mm, this is not exactly what I want. You went to Spain gave that, you know, tried something else, but then you knew. And, and I would say that that's, a, that's really honorable that when, even when you're running your own business like that, to know it's time to maybe step away from that business. I mean, you had the, the flamingo dresses for almost 15 years. That's mm-hmm. a long time to know that, okay, now it's time to, to step away. I, yeah. I just admire that a lot about you. And I love that uh, this is something I think we need to think about too, is that just because we start somewhere in our career doesn't mean that's where we're going to end and to honor those seasons of our life. Yeah. And I, I always call it following the pull of inspiration rather than the push of fear. Mm-hmm. And if I can feel pull towards something you know, I think that is always worth listening to. If I feel pushed into something, well, you know, well, <laughs> that's probably something that I'll happily ignore. But the pull of inspiration, it's almost that when it's about following intuition, at least in my experience, I've never followed my intuition and regretted it there's always something positive coming out of that. I've put my foot in by ignoring it. You know, I, I like the, I've done stuff where I'm thinking, oh boy, you know, like deep down I knew, but I still, I thought I had to. And that mm-hmm. went pear-shaped, mm-hmm. you know, that I, 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 I've, I've done and I've like, I had experiences like that, mm-hmm. you know, both personal, professional. It's like every time where something, you do something that kind of makes sense, but like deep down, you know, it isn't right that's the thing that goes pear-shaped, like following that pull of inspiration. I've never had that go wrong. So it somehow made sense at some point and I've been, I've had it reinforced all the time because every time it doesn't always work out exactly the way you want to, you know, but there's always 
looking back, it's like, yeah, yeah, that was the right move, you know? So, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm nodding my, he- my head back and forth because as I've mentioned already in the show, it's taken me some time to figure that. I think I always have known it, but exactly like what you said, sometimes you'll go and do something, you'll be pushed into it thinking that, okay, this is the right, you know, maybe, you know, I'm, I need to do it or, you know, this is the right thing, whatever. But I have, I will say this, that if I really stop and I think about, and, and I have called it a bit like my gut check, you know, to what is my gut saying? And you say the pull of inspiration for me, I, I often call it the boomerang factor, where what is the, the thing that I keep going back to that, that keeps bringing me joy or I keep finding myself yeah. going down a, a rabbit hole lost, you know, because I'm so intrigued about what I'm doing. But that, you know, has come with time. And I think it's a really good piece of or or advice or thought process for us to think about is like, what is that gut check? Or what is that pull of inspiration that keeps pulling you? Because like Anka said, it it really never steers you wrong. If your Mm -hmm. instinct is saying that this doesn't feel right, then it probably isn't. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to say that and then someone go out and do something crazy, but (laughs) just, I I think even just honoring the fact that you know that it's there. Mm. Yeah. And I think everybody knows what that feels like for them. You know, some people, I feel it like, uh, for me, it's like a very much a gut level thing as well. But other people feel it in different areas of their body. It's a different type. It's a certain type of sensation. There's a certain feeling to it. But everybody knows what that feels like. Yeah. It's just like, are you giving yourself permission to take that seriously? And I think, I find people, the more... the, The more of an analytical mind they have, the the more they struggle with that because yeah. it's often it's because it's, it's an, 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 a sense of knowing, but your rational mind can't catch up with it mm-hmm. because you don't know what you kind of know, but you, you, you don't know why you know. And that's the thing where you then don't, you kind of, a lot of people don't trust it because the rational mind can't follow the steps. You know, it's just that knowing and then you, but, but, but like, I don't really understand it. So, you know, and I think a lot of the times we don't act because we don't trust it, you know, until we then kind of look back and think, oh boy, that was right afterwards, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, there, there is that, there is, well, you know, and we have fear because that's a natural human piece, but I don't know. I, there's something of value in stepping outside or following that piece, that, that little instinct that says do it because I feel like that means there. That that's. Let me think about how I want to put this without without totally floundering. But it's like it's like your instinct saying it's okay, it's okay. Go go ahead and step outside a little bit. It, it's okay. We're we're gonna figure this out. You know. Um. So I want I want to bring this circle back a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about your book because you said like it's really taken on a life of its own. But I want to reference that because I think what is so valuable in your your content and the way in which you approach your business of, of coaching is that, and, and you said this to me before and it's totally just sunk in my brain. And I haven't forgotten it, but that, and you even mentioned it earlier. You said, you know, people get overwhelmed by the thought process of a tech, of making a website or making an app or, or whatever. And you, and you have said, you know, that's not actually, the tech's not the issue. It's mm. that the tech is never the, the, the problem. It's, it's the other piece that you need to solve. So 
give us a little bit of an overview about what the Tech Monster is and then sort of your philosophy on how you've helped people overcome that fearfulness of, in, of including tech in their business or yeah. that being the stopping point of moving forward in XYZ dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's actually funny. I'm laughing because I noticed myself getting bolder and bolder with that because not very long ago, I would say what looks like a tech problem hardly ever is. And these days I say what looks like a tech problem never is. And I'm, mm. and I'm now at add to that. Come on, challenge me on that. Try it. <laughs> yeah. Try me. No. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm really getting really quite cocky with that. And the reason for it is because See, I've seen, like, you actually really mentioned what, what I've seen quite a while. Actually, when, when I started the sewing people business, people would go like, you crazy? Like, how can you do something so different, right? And I remember my gut response was, but what do you mean different? It's exactly the same. Yeah. Right? Writing software and making a dress is exactly the same thing. When you look at it from that process point of view, and you were brought it in, like learning a language is exactly the same thing. Learning anything is exactly the same thing. Right? And, and I've seen that when people come to me and they say, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, I want to start with the sewing business or I want to start whatever, some other, some other kind of business. And now I need a website. I want to do online courses or whatever. And then tech, oh my God, you know, and you can literally on Zoom, it's really quite funny. You can literally see people tense up. They say, well, this stuff gives me anxiety. And they kind of go like that, shoulders up, hunch, mm -hmm. like you could see mm -hmm. the physical tension in there. And every time you look at, okay, so what's going on? What's missing? It's never technical. And they always kind of surprised when they work with me, 80% of the work has nothing to do with technology because a classic example, oh, you know, classic example, you find in Facebook groups, what's the best online course platform, right? And then there's 70 people, 150 people naming all the course platforms that they know and that they recommend, right? And then I come in and say, well, that kind of depends, doesn't it, right? <laughs> because, well, well, what's the best thing for you depends on, you know, what you want, what experience you want to create for your learners, right? And what you've already got, what you're familiar with, what learning curve you can take on, and a few other things, you know? And that's usually like throwing like a spanner in the wheel, because every time I've not had one person have, having that sense of overwhelm, there's just tech, there's just so much stuff because it is like there's so much stuff. And then even, this, yeah. even if you knew WordPress five years ago, it's changed so much, like you're back to square one. That's really what has that, where that, that sense of overwhelm coming from. But the problem is every time you then go and ask somebody, so, okay, so online course, how do you see that work? Well, you know, I've got all these modules. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, I'm your student. I sign up for the course. Now what? Uh, nobody has a good answer to that. Nobody mm -hmm. can, can tell you what do you want that experience to be like, you know, because when you know, oh, well, yeah, I want you to get a new module every week. Okay, we know we need drip feed. <laughs> you know, I want you to have... Uh, access 
to the other people in the group. Oh, you need community, right? So I want you to be able to pay via payment plan. Oh, you need payment plan for function. That actually just fleshing out that experience literally gives you a short list of functionality that you need to look for. And all of a sudden out of the 50 options, you're left mm -hmm. with three, right? And the, the overwhelm is kind of dissolving. It's usually when this tech stuff feels there's too much stuff and I don't know where to start, it's always a sign that you kind of skipping over. It's like you're trying to run up a flight of stairs and take five steps at once when you're not really fit, right? It's like, Ugh. you know, it just doesn't work. So I'm saying, well, slow down. Let's have a look. What it is, what is it that you actually want to create? You know, and then that kind of like, oh, okay, now all of a sudden this is discarded, that's discarded. And all of a sudden you end up with a couple of options, you know, and then it's a question like decision making. Another, another thing got nothing to do with technology. It's a big deal. This one, that one. Pick one and go with it. You know, so that's another thing. It's got nothing to do with technology. Then there's also the whole field of expectations, right? A lot of the problems come because lots of marketing messages subtly and quietly mess with people's expectations because people will always, you know, like, you know, build an app three in five minutes, you know, no coding experience required, you know, build your website, three clicks, no coding experience required, the simple alternative to whatever. And people sign up for that. And so there's basically a sense that there is a layer of complexity that's hidden because the tool providers have learned in marketing 101, you must sell the solution and not the tool. So they say, oh, you know, make six figures in six weeks, just sign up for my program thing. It's really simple because I can't tell people that it's complex, they won't sign up. So there is a simplicity mm -hmm. that isn't really there because and then they sign up and they look and they're like, oh my God, what's that, right? Holy shit, this is supposed to be the simple one. I must be really stupid. I'm not cut out for this. So it's really setting those expectations. So yeah, you don't go and most people realize when it says learn Spanish in 30 days, you know, that you can go, well, good luck with that. You know, so it's the same kind of thing. Nobody expects to learn a language fluently in 30 days. But people for some reason think, oh, this should be really simple. I should be knowing all of this instantly. Well, no, it's quite a big area of expertise. So it's a bit of like give yourself some slack you know, and well, yeah, you know, and it's exactly spot on because, uh, you know, I've fallen for it. We all have fallen for it in some capacity, but we know you have to put a little work behind whatever it is that you're going to do. There has to be a, a process, yeah. uh, but you nailed it in saying that this is really what it comes down to. You need to know the who, what, when, why, and where for anything exactly. you're doing. So, if you can't answer the question, what you want your customer to be able to do, then you're exactly right. The tech is not going to fix that. And then you do get overwhelmed. Yeah. I mean, I've even been there. I've been like, oh, I think I need to do this and this and this. And then I have to stop and say, well, well no, actually, that's not what I need. I mean, I, I know we need a website and those kinds of things. But here's the problem. You cannot do a website of no code and three steps if you don't have the content to put on that website. Yep, yep. And I've just actually launched a free mini course for that. You know, like before you even go, people think about website, oh, WordPress, this, should I go Wix? Should I, should I hire somebody? No, you need to answer a few questions first 
Because otherwise, you're either going to struggle yourself or you're going to be a nightmare client for the poor boss that you're hiring. <laughs> you know? So yeah. it's, it's, um, it's really that step between the idea and the tech. And right. if you spend some time there, and usually most people find that a relief because, oh, so to solve the tech problem, what I have to deal with isn't actually technical at all. Right. So and then it really, gives you clarity. It gives you clarity yeah. over what you need, what Absolutely. tech you do need. Because exactly. I, you're exactly right. There's a lot of things that are thrown at us. So you should have this or this or that, but not every business needs that. You know, yeah. not every business needs an app. Maybe not every business needs a CRM system. I mean, actually, most people probably need a customer relationship management system, but it may not be something that's as fan, you know, you may not have to pay lots yeah. and lots of money, maybe something else know. that you can do, you know? And I like that you also mentioned that when you go on the, if you go on the Facebook groups and things, and let's not say where we are downing those, it's just when you go on the Facebook group, before you do that, try to have some clarity over what it is you're looking for so that then the systems and platforms don't seem so overwhelming. That's so true. And it's, it's really that. And the other thing that I notice where a lot of people, where, where we often have a good giggle because I do a lot of work with people where it's like literally, Let's, let's do it together, right? So I work a lot literally on screen share. Yeah. You know, we build the thing together because then they, I can sort of smooth them over, shove them over the potholes so they don't get, and then they go, don't get frustrated. It's lightning fast because, you know, so we don't have these kind of feedback loops that are kind of really slow. So we're actually working, we're actually getting it done together on screen share. Sometimes when they're really beginners, mm-hmm. I do it, I let them watch and explain what I'm doing. And then after a while we switch, now you do it and I'll talk you through it. And then slowly taking the training wheels off. And it's incredible when you get people over that, oh my God, I don't know, into, hmm, let's see how that works, Mm -hmm. right? The moment you you Mm -hmm. kind of, they get that shift, then they start to try things. Then they realize they can actually figure stuff out. And sometimes it's, it's teaching some basics like how to actually search stuff on Google to find answers that are useful because sure. you will not, I mean, you probably will believe <laughs> what people type in like the kind of stuff people searching for. So that's a whole topic on its, on its own, but, but literally also what happens when there's an error message, right? People go, Oh my God, it's not working. Like there's immediately, I've seen people freeze up and I'm seeing you and I'm saying, you've got right here, you've got proof that the tech isn't the issue, right? But yeah, when there's an error, when it doesn't, like, yeah, but do you see me freak out? I'm like, hmm, that's kind of weird. Oh, that wasn't supposed to happen. What's that supposed to mean? Oh, let me have a look what that error message means. That's one approach saying, oh my God, tech is against me. The tech monster is biting and I'm just too, and if you go down the rabbit hole, I'm just stupid. My dad 50 years ago was right when he said I was, you know where that mind goes? Uh Mm -hmm. That's your problem, right? Not the error message on your screen. It's just some pixels on your screen. They can't do anything to you, right? They can't because we still have the control over what those pixels do. Mm -hmm. Exactly, you know, and and just the fact people, and people don't like, they don't hate technology. They hate the feeling of incompetence. They feel they hate the feeling of vulnerability that comes with that. Because then you don't know, you don't even know who to trust when you ask something. 
or then you ask something and then they are condescending or they give you an answer you don't understand. That feeling of, oh my God, I'm so out of my depth here, that's the feeling that people hate. They don't hate technology. So if you can give people a way of exploring the territory on their own terms, at their own pace, then it all of a sudden the little the, the, the tech monster turns into a friendly little dragon that wants to play. Oh my gosh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. So I mean, because it's yes. Everything you said is exactly what I feel in my heart and the way that I have even experienced it on my own over mm-hmm. my years of becoming a technologist and realizing that it was okay to make the mistakes. It was okay that the error was there to tell me there was something wrong and let's see how we can fix it. Mm-hmm. I also learned very quickly that I can step away from the problem, have a moment to decompress yep. and then return and know that it's going to be okay. And I agree. Now when things pop up, I don't normally freak out anymore. I'm like, okay. My favorite thing is like to turn a computer off and turn it back on and be like, oh, all right, let's see what's happening now. You know, I mean, and then because it really, it's just like what you said, it's just pixels on a screen and they can't do Mm -hmm. anything to you. But I would love for you all, the audience, to be able to work and learn more about Anka. Can you tell them where they can find more about how to work with you and even more about your book? Yep. Well, I'm pretty easy to find. Um, TamingTheTechMonster.com is taking you to um, a website. There's all the links to the Amazon, to the relevant Amazon links. And there's also a free community that I have that you can join where, you know, there's lots of, you know, tutorials and workshops and, you know, I'm there to ask, to answer questions. And my main website is AnkaHerman.com, A-N-K-E-H-E-R-R-M-A-N-N.com and everything else is there. So I'm on Facebook, I'm active on LinkedIn, I'm pretty easy to find. And I'll add all these, all of this information um, in the overview of the show. Thank you so much for being with me again today. I believe we're going to have to have a part three because I really would like to dig in, dig in more about the Google search because that is a really uh, cool um, topic to discuss about what are you really looking for. I, mm-hmm. I think that's really important to share. So thank you so much for being with me again. Thank you everyone for joining us on this episode of Coding the Future. And we cannot wait to have you join us again next week. Thank you again, Anka. And we will see you next week on Coding the Future. Thank you so much for listening to Coding the Future. Please join your host, Dr. Sharon Jones, for another edition next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk then. 